we had a great retreat, <clears throat> just really a good retreat. Enjoyed uh, the things that God was doing with us and, and uh, that kind of thing. So um, th- this is kind of, this is, well, so in my head, this is kind of like a, a, a prelude to um, Sunday, although it won't feel that way and seem like that to you, except for the, the stuff we're going to talk about right at the end of tonight. Um, but it is in my head because I, cause I'm thinking about, like, there's always the, especially right now, there's always the big picture for me, which is um, how, how are we going to take responsibility for the kingdom of God? What are, what are we going to do about the kingdom of God? Um, not what are we going to do about the kingdom of self. I, I read a book, uh, this would have been 1991. I was youth pastor of a church, and my pastor brought me this book, and he had just read it, and he said it was really good, and I should read it. And then it dawned on me later, I think he was trying to send a bigger message than just, hey, this is a great book. <clears throat> I think he was saying, you're really needing to pay attention to this book. Um, but the book basically was, and I don't know if this is the title, it seems like it's the title, I haven't, I've looked it up over the years, I've never been able to find it again, but this seems like the title, uh, The Kingdom of Self, okay? And, and basically the book starts off uh, at the very beginning with, um, rather than starting off in the middle, and starts off at, at the beginning with um, a baby, a baby in the womb, and how everything comes to that baby, Baby doesn't do anything; it just sits there, and then uh, it's fed. It's everything is it's brought to it on a conveyor belt, and um, and then all of a sudden, these mean doctors um, jerk this baby out of the waterbed that it has been enjoying, and and, and slaps it, <laughs> you know that kind of thing, and it, and basically, book saying now starts your life. The problem is, is and then he walks through the, like the next two to five years, depending on parenting skills, and uh, <clears throat> and he talks about how. Everything is handed to you. There's no, I mean, you get a little uncomfortable. It's not like the waterbed you used to be in, but everything gets a little, little bit more uncomfortable, but not horribly crazy, because every time you cry, somebody's right there. Every time you uh, roll over, somebody's right there. Every time you, you poop, somebody takes care of it immediately, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then he begins this progress through the, the book, talking about how that begins to change somewhere between two to five years old, um, because the book was written long before modern parenting. And... And the, the, the discipline starts, and the children began to learn the word no. And for the first time, their, their kingdom starts crumbling a little bit, just a little bit. And then they're told no again, and then they're told no, but they still touch the stove, and it burns them, and they're told no. And so now the, crumble, the walls crumble a little bit more. And it goes through this progression, and, and basically what the book is, is if your walls, if, if your walls are not beginning to be torn down when you are young and continue to be torn down. And as you get older, old enough to begin making your own decisions, the more decisions that you make, you need to be held accountable for those decisions so the walls tear down a little bit more. If that doesn't happen, then, then you build a kingdom to self. And then, and then he goes through, in Christianity, we, we teach each other to build kingdoms unto ourselves. Instead of building God's kingdom, we build our kingdom. He goes through all these examples, which were um, right on back in those days. And he wrote it, it had to have been in the 60s or 70s. But they were right on then and and seem even stronger now that the church actually helps us build our own kingdoms instead of helping us build the Lord's kingdom. And so with, with that in mind, I was... I was thinking about this. Now, again, at first, it's not going to seem like this is the same thing, except for the very few first sentences. But stick with me. And then, and then when we get to Sunday, I think it'll kind of, I think that different times during the message Sunday, it'll click. Some things you'll go, oh, yeah, okay. You know, you'll draw back to this. So Zechariah chapter 11, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to start in verse 4. This is, um, first part is important too, but, but I want to get down to verse 4. Now, God is talking to Zechariah, okay, the Holy Spirit, or, or um, Zechariah, the angel of the Lord, or the Spirit of the Lord is talking to Zechariah. This is what the Lord my God says. Go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. Now, now we're going to have to go through this and break this down kind of slowly, because if you just read through this, you're going to miss 
You're going to miss so much in this chapter, okay? So God says to Zechariah, go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. What does he mean, the flock that is intended for slaughter? Who is the flock? Okay, his people, which would include us. All right. So why is the flock intended for slaughter? I'll give you kind of a, a simple answer to begin with. Um, and this sounds kind of negative about humanity at, at large, but um, the, because sheep are t- intended to be slaughtered. That's kind of the big picture answer. Guys, as human beings, specifically under this sin concept that, we've, that we are burdened under and, and attached to, we, we desire it for, to a great extent, um, we are headed for the slaughter. As sheep, we are headed for the slaughter. And, and, and without Jesus, now I was about to say there's nothing we can do about it, except that Jesus makes sure that we can do something about it. But if you take, <clears throat> if you're just talking to the world and you take Jesus out of the subject, there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. You're headed for the slaughter. There's nothing you can do about it. Except that Jesus provides a, a, an, an out, an opening, an option, a redemption out of that. Okay? So that's the setup. The Lord says to Zechariah, go and care for the flock that is intended for slaughter. Now here's something that's important to keep in mind. Okay, this is very important as we'll walk through this. God is talking to Zechariah, but he is prophesying to us and to those that came after, and including Zechariah, about Jesus. Okay, keep that in mind. Zechariah and Jesus are, are, are together here. Okay, they're, they're, you'll see as we unfold this, all right? Verse 5, the buyers slaughter their sheep without remorse. Who possibly could be the buyers? And I think there's more than one answer here, maybe a general answer, but the buyers slaughter their sheep without remorse. Who are the buyers? <clears throat> no ideas? Um, I think that can, <clears throat> I think that, let's take, let's put, let's take church leaders off the table right now. We'll come back to that. Um, political leaders, I think, could be included in this. Who, who else could be included in this? Okay. Anybody taking you down a wrong path? Anybody um, uh, trying to use you, trying to manipulate you? Uh, the buyers, we could put it into a very real sense. There are buyers of sheep today, right? There are buyers of people, human trafficking, slavery, all that kind of stuff. Do you realize there is more slavery on the earth today than ever in history together, combined? And, and I mean, countries across the planet that you back up 400 years ago, there was a handful of country, countries across the planet that were into slavery, and many, many, many countries around the world are, in, are uh, involved in slavery right now. Okay? So those are the buyers, right? People that use and abuse, those are buyers. Anybody, anybody out there trying to, to get something? Get something for nothing? Our buyers? Yes, Al? You can interchange the terms buyers and users here. It's probably easier to think in terms of users than buyers. Because people buy things for purpose so that they can use whatever it is they buy. Sure. So they're not just buyers, but they're users. And so it's easier for us to think of people who use people. Yeah. And, and, and people also that, that uh, market in humanity, okay? There, there's a lot of people on this planet right now that, that are, are in the human market. Okay, now this doesn't mean buying people. This means buying the things about people, right? All the stuff. Now, now I know this, is, this seems like a small thing, and I know it's not a big deal. In fact, sometimes I like it, okay? Um, when I... I'm talking about something, and then five minutes later, an advertisement for that comes on my phone. And I, and I haven't said anything about that in ever. 
And then I mention it, and all of a sudden an ad comes up on my phone or on Facebook or something else. And it took me a long time to really put that together because I'm pretty dense. I'm like, what a coincidence. Look at this. I was just talking about nose plugs, and they come up. Right? Um, but guys, even though, even though that's... Um, I believe strongly in capitalism. Don't get me wrong. But, but there's something about that that just makes my skin crawl just a little bit. All right? I, I love the fact that I can say something... And, I, and there are algorithms that have that handed to me immediately. Now, every now and then you get an ad and you're like, is this what they think I want? You know, that, that happens sometimes. Um, but for the most part, the algorithms work pretty good. And I like that, except there's something about it that, that I, feel like I'm, I feel like I'm being used. I'm not important to these companies. I'm not important to these companies, and you guys know that. I'm not, it's not some kind of broken heart story, but they are buyers, and I'm a human. And they market in that. And then there are the next level, which are people that, that use us. All right? So then the next thing. The sellers say, praise the Lord, now I'm rich. Even the shepherds have no compassion for them. Now, what group is this? Because I think there's two. There's a category and there's a subcategory here. I think the shepherds are the church leaders. There's not a, there's not a, um, there's not a classification in Scripture for shepherds other than church leaders. Okay? Uh, so I think it has to be church leaders. Now, the sellers are different. They don't, the sellers are not all church leaders, um, and not all church leaders are sellers, okay? But in this part, the church leaders mentioned here are all sellers. Okay, so who are the sellers separate from church leaders? Sure. You ever been sold out by your family? Guys, when I was, when I was working with Sarah's home, um, we had girls come through there that were sold by their mothers into prostitution. That, that was, and they were young, nine, ten-year-old girls that were sold by their moms. You, you kind of naturally think that, they, that the abuse of a girl at a young age comes from a male. And, and while the actual physical abuse did come from a male, they were, they were prostituted by their mother. That's, that's very, very common. So who, who else is sellers? <clears throat> I agree with that. Our political system, there's no, except for a handful of people, I'm saying at the national level, except for a small handful of people, most of our politicians, I don't trust them, they're selling people out left and right every single day. And part of this is, is when you watch them when they go to Washington, they're one thing, and after they've been there a few years, they're something else. <clears throat> now, every now and then, you'll see some that stand in the gap, and they really do. And, and that's why we need to always hold those people up, okay? Now, you may agree with this, you may not agree with this, but I really do believe that President Trump was one of those people. I, b I believe he stood in the gap, and I think that's why he's not president today. He cut too many people the wrong way on both parties. When he, when he said drain the swamp, he didn't mean just the Democrats. Okay. Now with that, you've got people that are selling you out every single day. The media? The media has sold out the, the common person a long time ago. I, I, I started thinking this 20-something years ago, 
And, it, and I, I heard something one time. Um, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh, and he was talking about the liberal media back in the 60s. And he, and he said, it wasn't overt, but he said, Walter Cronkite, America's man, America's anchor man. You know, like, Walter Cronkite would say something about conservatism, and then he would pause and raise his eyebrows. And when Rush Limbaugh had a TV show, he would show some of this. And I don't think most people thought about that stuff back in the day. And part of the reason it could be so subtle is because the liberals owned everything. Um, in, in the 80s, when, when conservative talk radio, specifically Rush Limbaugh, started what, what became conservative talk radio, and then conservative blogs and conservative everything, um, the, the story began to change. But, but before that, they didn't have to sell out the American people. They owned us. They owned America. Over time, they began to lose much of America. And, and people started paying attention. Again, I, I, I mentioned this at Men's Retreat, but I, when, I was, when I was about nine years old, ten years old, right around there, I bought a subscription to Time Magazine because I was a nerd. <laughs> we discussed that some at Men's Retreat. But, um, <clears throat> and then when I was about 12... 13, right in there, I stopped the subscription because Time Magazine was too liberal for me. Which means I was a double nerd, right? And I started, I started noticing as a very young 20-something that the media was trying to play me, to manipulate me. And there's very few things on this earth that I dislike more than being manipulated. In fact, just so you know, so there's no confusion, um, in any time in the future, uh, as, as a pastor, I'm a pretty nice, low-keyed, I don't get all crazy mad, but if I get played, I get mad. I can take a lot of things, but manipulating and lying to me, mm-mm, you will be dead to me. I, I really can't stand that. There's a lot of things I can deal with, but I cannot deal with that. A lot of things I can do. Because there's some, in fact, I'm going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, but the concept of misrepresentation and, and um, integrity and your word and those kind of things, I think those are hugely valuable things. But um, the idea of being sold, I don't like to be sold. I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to be sold out. But not only does it say the sellers sell the sheep or sell us, but that they also <clears throat> praise God for it. In other words, it, in, in some level, they think they're doing the right thing. They think this is good. And then it says that the shepherds don't even have compassion on people. I'm going to show a video clip Sunday. I won't give you the point of the video clip, but it's by a guy named Sam Harris, and he's, a, he's an atheist. And he's trying to explain morality. I'll talk about that Sunday. But one of the things he says, and he says this statement later, it's not part of the video clip on the show, but he says, you know, it's, it's um, and he hates, he hates church, he hates religion. He hates religion of any kind. And uh, he hates Christianity, but he'll pick on Islam and things like that, but he hates Christianity. Picking on the Islam gives him credibility with people because he picks on you know, like an uncle killing a, a niece because she was raped or something. And he'll just drive that into the ground and then he'll relate it to Christianity. Like that has anything to do with Christianity. But he said, he said it's amazing how the church talks about morality. It talks about morality and uh, makes a big deal about that and, and, and hates the LGBT community. That's the way he says it. Which the church... If it's truly the church, cannot hate the LGBT community. If they hate the LGBT community, they're not the church. Okay? But he says they hate the LGBT community and then turns a blind eye to genocide. I was not in the room when he said it, but I would love to have said, what about the genocide of abortion? What about that genocide? That's the, that's the biggest genocidal plague on this planet right now. And, and, and we're, we act like, oh, we're, we're, you know, 
we'll pick on the LGBT, but we, the church doesn't care about genocide. Why? That stuff drives me crazy when people say stuff like that. And they're not challenged on it. When he said that, everybody in the crowd clapped. I think they were scared somebody might have yelled out abortion. So they had to clap real loud all of a sudden. But, but I think about this stuff. The concept of the, the, the church, the shepherds have no compassion on the sheep. Guys, this is <clears throat> 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I just deeply offended by things like abortion. I just assumed that. And then I found over the years that they're not. That much of the church doesn't care about abortion. I assumed that the Republican Party, for the most part, was anti-abortion. And then I found out that's not the actual top issues. They'll let the church that cares about that care about that in the in part of the platform, but it's not a major part of the Republican platform. It's just a loud part from a part of the platform. And, and Republicans know if they, if they push that off to the side. Now, there are some strong, strong Republicans that are, that are very much anti-abortion. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on that or, or divide it, but... If, if many, many, many Republicans thought they could get by and win without dealing with abortion, they'd cut it off the platform tomorrow. They'd do away with it. Because it's uncomfortable to them. It's, 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 a, it's not their issue. It's, it's the church's issue. Right? There, there is Republican Party and then there's conservatism. And those are not the same thing all the time. So we've got the sellers who are many different people in society that will sell out another human with no problem whatsoever. I, I think about this sometime. Um, so my, as my dad has gotten older, he, he's, he falls into a demographic now where he is considered prey by uh, a lot of people out there in society. And I didn't realize it was so strong and prevalent, but uh, the, these people are fairly good, and they'll call my dad up or send him something. Or most of the time, it's a phone call because they want to handle it quickly and get it over the phone and try to get him. And he'll call me, Scott. What do you think about this? And I'll tell him, Dad, it's a scam. Somebody trying to get fifty thousand dollars here, a hundred thousand dollars here. That happens all the time. All the time. I cannot fathom that kind of human. I don't get that. I don't get that. I was sitting in a Thai restaurant last night watching them stack the food on these shelves by the door and people would just come in, look, and then grab their bag. And I thought, nobody knows if they're supposed to grab that bag. And I thought to myself, I could just walk in this Thai restaurant and grab one of those bags and leave. And I felt guilty all night long about that. Now, I still kind of had a plan of how I would do it, and I casually developed that while I was having conversation, but I did feel guilty about it. And, and this is the thing. Somebody can take all of somebody's life savings, not even blink an eye. Not even blink. It doesn't matter to them at all. I really, really, in fact, I've tried to call some of these people back. My dad will give me the phone number and I'll try to call them back. And, it, and it's, through a, it's not a real phone number, it's through a looper. So, so it sends out a number, but that's not their number. And we try to call it back, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. But I would love to find one of these guys. Well, I, I'm that age now, and I just have fun with them. I yank their chain and keep them on the phone and keep them talking and uh, yank their chain. It's fun. It's a, it's yeah. a sport. I, um, so, so for a, a, a part of the population like you, it's a sport, but... There's many people there being taken advantage of with this. And I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you honestly, if I ever come across one of these people, like if I'm sitting at a Starbucks and I hear somebody trying to scam somebody, I'm going to beat the mess out of them. I'm just telling you. Pastor put in jail. That'll be the headlines. Um, but it'll say in there, Pastor put in jail after beating a guy senseless, and they had to unpry his hand with crowbars from the guy's eyeballs. That's what it's going to say. I don't understand that level of depravity. I just don't. 
I understand a level of depravity that can sell a, a little girl to, to some kind of pervert. I don't, I don't get that. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond my thinking. Now, what it says here is, they say, praise the Lord, now I'm rich. Even the shepherds have no compassion. The church just turns a blind eye to this oftentimes. And, I, and not just right now, okay? I'm not, I'm not just picking on us right now. Um, this has been happening forever. Long, long time this has been happening. You can go back to the, the moment of Christ, which we're about to, but you can go back to the moment of Christ when the church didn't care about people. And you can see that at different times all through history, where if you just spotlight in on the church, now not the average person in church. I really believe, maybe I'm, I'm naive about this, but I really believe that over history, most people really are wanting to serve God, specifically if they attach to the church at any level. They're wanting to serve God, but depending on when you hit in history, the church leadership is as bad as any human on the planet at different times. I, I, I remember I was, I was probably early 20s at this time, and I was watching a documentary about, um, <clears throat> about uh, well, there was the Vatican and there was some other places around the world where there was a collection of um, po uh, bishops, cardinals, things like that. And then there would be a nunnery uh, nearby. And they would talk about, and they went underground of these places and, and went in these tunnels underground of these buildings of all of the skeletons of little babies that had been killed because the pope, the, not the pope, the, the priests were hanging out with the nuns. The nuns were getting pregnant and they had to do away with the babies. And they found stacks of babies' bones in these things. I, I almost couldn't move on past that. It, it, it cut my legs out from under me. Um, I've never been one of those guys that are anti-Catholic, okay? I, I, I believe Mariology is wrong. I believe it's um, spiritually cultish, okay? Um, I think you can quickly prove that in Scripture. I think transubstantiation is cultish. But I also know a lot of Catholics that really just love God and they don't pray to Mary and they love Jesus and they're not praying to the saints. They just like, they grew up Catholic and that's what they have to be. I get that, okay? I don't think all Catholics are not Christians. So, so with that, I've never been like anti-Catholic, but when I see that stuff, it, it spiritually it just guts me. And then all the stuff that we've been seeing the last decade, which it's only been coming out the last decade. It's been happening forever of, of priests that um, sexually abuse little boys. I, I think they should have to have a surgery. I, 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 I'm not, oh yeah, well, I don't, anesthesia, I don't care about anesthesia. They're, I don't, it's not my deal. But I really do, and I'm not trying to be crass. That's not, I really do believe they should have to have a surgery. There's, there's something about selling humans like that. Selling out humanity like that. I, I just... He says, likewise, I will no ha longer have pity on the people of the land, says the Lord. Now, the Lord is the one saying, I no longer have pity on the people. Okay, that's important as we progress here. I will let them fall into each other's hands and into the hands of their king. What does he mean by that? What does that mean? I will let them fall into each other's hands to the hands of the king, of their king. Now, we know he's talking about the people that are the buyers and the sellers and the, the spiritual leadership that has no compassion, okay? That, that's the group. He's not talking about the sheep in general, okay? I will let them fall into each other's hands. Yeah, this is what you want, you can have it. This is what you desire, you can have it, yes, sir. Is this like, you know, when someone goes into gang activity, at some point, they become the victim? Yeah, it's true. And, and this, is, this is the deal with this. So, so Sunday I'm talking about morality. Where does it come from? 
You know, it's interesting that we have this idea, and, and I, I don't want to go down this road too much, but because I'm talking about Sunday, but we have this idea. The the if if you're a if you're a good, healthy, maturing Christian, you do not have the idea that you are inherently good. Okay, are you following my thinking with that? If as a Christian you believe that you are inherently good, then there's some disconnect that will hinder your understanding of the cross and the importance of the blood of Jesus. Okay? I think we always have to have this, I am covered with the blood and I'm forgiven, coupled with Paul saying, and we should be saying, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And, and, and without the grace of God, go I? Yes, sir? Part of the what? Part of the sellers and the buyers are ourselves. We take that little bitty chunk, which leads to greater and greater issues, and we then become part of that group in one form or fashion. Yes. Um, okay, so I was going to get to that at the end, but let's discuss that now. Because James... Well, well, let's finish these two sentences, and then we'll get to that, okay? I will let them fall into each other's hands. You're going to get what you deserve, kind of thing, okay? And into the hands of their king. You will be punished and abused from the top down, too. I really do believe right now that's what our country is dealing with. That we are starting to be abused by the king. Because... We have been buying and selling and part of this. Because, because James is right. Um, the, the sheep be, are part of the buyers and the sellers. If everybody on the planet is a sheep, which they are, some are, some are buyers and sellers, some are shepherds. All that. At some point, everybody's a sheep, and then, uh, then sometimes we're the other things. Okay. So then he says, they will turn the land into a wilderness and I will not rescue them. That's the same language when he says, um, the, the, the last part of the statement is I will heal their land. Well, the step before it is humble yourself, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. And then I will hear from heaven and heal your land. The reason he needs to heal our land is because our land is broken and been turned into a wilderness. That, and, and why? Because we've turned against God. When you turn against God, you are put in the wilderness. That can mean a lot of things depending on the time frame and the people and, the, and everything. We have been so blessed and so prosperous in our country for so long that the generations that are coming up now, specifically the younger, don't have any concept of that. And the older, I'm saying up to like my, my parents' age, we have forgotten this to the point where we're not fighting for it like we used to. Freedom, liberty, this, this mentality that we're not going to be ruled and controlled by other people and all this stuff. This, this goofiness that I'm hearing so much now about, and this, this is straight Marxism. This is, this is Marx, Lenin, Stalin, where they, they say um, nobody owns property. We're all just happy. What? So you're saying... Taking my property makes me happy? No, them giving you back what they think you deserve or what, what they're willing to give you is all you need to be happy. Right. A, a small group of people deciding what makes me happy. Yes. And, and I want to say, hey, you know what would make you happy? If I hit you real hard, it would make you so happy. You just don't know it. And if I just kept hitting you, you would be happier and happier. You just don't know it. Hayden? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's a valid point. Yeah, I, I mean it's a, it's a beautiful song. Imagine is an amazingly beautiful song, but it is a it's a but it's a beautiful. 
So then he says, I will not rescue them. They will turn land into a wilderness and I will not rescue them. So for us right now, if our land is a wilderness, maybe, maybe I'm being a little presumptuous, but I believe that we've, we've gone to this point where we are, we are wandering out into the wilderness right now. And the Lord will not rescue us. Well, we still have scripture that says, this is how you can be rescued. Humble yourself. That's where it's going to take the biggest is humble yourself. That it, is, it is bizarre to me how arrogant our country has become. How does blatantly arrogant. I, I tell you a guy that you, his humor is, is wonderful to me, but you may not like it. But uh, there's this, there's this um, YouTube uh, channel you can just, uh, subscription you can subscribe to uh, on YouTube that is Awaken with JP. If, if you don't know who he is, look that up. He is the most um, uh, satirical, uh, sarcastic irony that you will find, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You've seen it? Oh, okay. So there's, some of you are enlightened. Um, because he addresses some of this stuff, and the way he says it, you're just going, yes. Why do we think this way? Why do we think this way? The arrogance that is, that is invading our country right now. I, I was thinking about this because we were, we were joking about this. Some, me and some people were joking about this the other day. Now, I know that some of you fall into this category. I'm not picking on you because I don't think you're this way. But for the most part, it's an overgeneralization. But for the most part, I, I've often wondered about this. When I have um, somebody over to my house that does not like bacon, and that happens sometimes. I don't usually have them back, but I, when they come to our house and they don't like bacon, I don't berate them and make them eat bacon. I don't, for the most part, I don't belittle them and just push and push and push. Well, if you don't eat bacon, you're, you're just not a good person, all this other kind of stuff. But it's amazing how you can see that sometimes with like vegans, right? Now you say, well, I'm a vegan. Well, then don't be this way. Um, where, where it's like the holy grail of food. And if you do not eat like them, there's something morally wrong with you. I, I saw this. I went to this modern market over here yesterday for lunch. We took Tara and Dara because they're admins. Today's admin day. And uh, my wife's been trying to get me to go to this foo-foo place. And it was actually pretty good. I liked it, but I can't admit that right now. But they had written up there, eat lots of food, mostly uh, plants. That's basically what the sign said. And I thought, that's not my worldview. That's not how I look at it. Now, I don't, I'm not saying they were trying to make a big statement. I don't know if they were or not, because it is a salady place, okay? One of my favorite things is salad. My, my wife says all the time, we go to a, a steak restaurant, half time I'll have soup and salad, and she'll have a steak. And she, taught, she started saying this years ago, you know you're the woman in this relationship. And I'm like, am not. So, <laughs> but, but I love salad and all that kind of stuff, but really, I'm not going to make somebody feel guilty for not eating something. And that's one tiny thing. You can broaden that across all kinds of stuff in our society today. And the arrogance and the, the pushiness that, that comes with so much stuff in today's society today. So much stuff. Um, this, this thing I'm, this is from this video that I'm going to show a clip of Sunday. The, the guy was talking about Sam Harris. Was, he said something about Christians. And everybody, and it was a really negative stereotype about Christians. And everybody clapped and yelled and cheered and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine doing that in any other context? Just pick anything, any, any subgroup. Doesn't matter, just pick on them. And just say something extremely mean and rude, stereotype. And, and are everybody going to break into applause? But they do about Christians. Okay, now, let's get to what um, James said about, uh, at some level, all the sheep are buyers and sellers too. 
Because this is where we have to really let the Holy Spirit reveal something to us. Look at this, this next few sentences, verse 7. Now, again, this is Zechariah talking. But the Lord is showing him this, and the Lord is speaking through him. So he says, So I cared for the flock intended for slaughter. Zechariah cares for the flock that's intended for slaughter. But he's prophetically saying this about Jesus, too. The flock that was oppressed. It is the job of Christians to care for oppressed people. Okay? This is part of the reason, guys, it would be so much easier for me to never mention abortion. It'd be so much easier. We've had people, I'm not going to make a big deal about this, but we've had people leave this church because they talk about abortion. They're not going here now. Well, you need, to, you need to talk about something else. They're, they're the most oppressed group on the planet today. They're, they're being murdered. There are some different oppressed groups on this planet, but they're not being mass murdered. The flock that was oppressed. Then I took two shepherd's staffs. This is, I, I love this. What he does with the language here. I took two shepherd staffs, one named Favor. I looked that word up and there's a few, because this is the New Living Translation, so theoretically that's the best English word. Um, it's, it's, it's a good one, but there are some that are just as important. This favor means divine favor. It can also mean blessedness. That, that um, the staff, one staff is named divine favor or God's blessings on your life, Okay. And the other is union, or unity, same thing, unity, right? In fact, when I, when I clicked on the word union and said the definition is unity, I was like, why didn't you just use the word unity? But that's just me. So he says, two shepherd staffs, one name. Now, these are staffs that a shepherd is going to use. Zechariah is using these staffs, but this is Jesus that he's talking about, and that will be very clear here in just a little bit, okay? It kind of sneaks upon you that he's been talking about Jesus the whole time. All right. Then I took two shepherd staffs, the things to control sheep and to be a, a help to sheep. One named favor, or divine favor, God's blessings, and the other named unity. I got rid of their three evil shepherds in a single month. But I became impatient with these sheep, and they hated me too. So I told them, I won't be your shepherd any longer. If you die, you die. If you are killed, you are killed. And let those who remain devour each other. And that's the part where he's saying to fall into each other's hands. Okay? Then I took my staff called favor, divine favor, God's blessing, and I cut it in two, showing that I had revoked the covenant that I'd made with all the nations. That's, that's big. That was the end of my covenant with them. The suffering flock was watching me. And they knew that the Lord was speaking through my actions. All the sheep were watching Zechariah. And I said to them, If you like, give me my wages, whatever I am worth, but only if you want to. Now look at this. So they counted out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Are we still talking about Zechariah? Talking about, well, we are, but we're talking about Jesus too, right? And the Lord said to me, take these 30 pieces, throw it to the potter. Another word there for potter is the treasury place in the temple that is used to uh, purchase things for the oppressed. Its nickname is the potter or the potter's place. You, you understand where that... When, when Judas got his 30 pieces of silver, what did he do with it? He threw it back into the treasury, threw it back into the temple, and they took it because it's blood money now. They took it and went and bought, went and bought a field um, for the oppressed to bury people that, that didn't have any money. Okay. If you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my so they counted out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This magnificent sum at which they valued me. You understand that sarcasm. 
So I took the 30 coins and I threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Then I took the other staff, union or unity, and I cut it in two, showing that the bond of unity between Judah and Israel was broken. Then the Lord said to me, go again and play the part of a worthless shepherd. This illustrates how I will give this nation a shepherd who will not care for those who are dying, nor look after the young, nor, look, nor heal the injured, nor feed the healthy. Instead, this shepherd will eat the meat of the fattest sheep and tear off their hooves. He's talking about the church. A shepherd for the people. He didn't use the term king or anything like that. But this shepherd will, will tear away at the sheep and eat away at the sheep. And you can see that at different times in history. You can see that. But if you, if you do an over, just kind of an overarching view of the world, that has been kind of the foundation of the church in the world for forever. It's amazing. Starting way back in Pharisees' time, before Jesus, and then after Jesus, you see a few hundred years where the church is strong, and then all of a sudden the church leadership becomes what we call the Dark Ages. And you can see that in all kinds of places around the world. Not, in just, not just in Christianity, but in, in spiritual mentalities around the world. That the people are oppressed by the spiritual groups. Our pastors in India right now, they're uh, COVID is starting to really spark up a lot in India right now. And it's going into the rural places uh, very strongly right now. Which I think partly because the pandemic shut everything down and they didn't move around a lot. And now everybody's starting to move around. And, it, and villages in India really are much more isolated than anything we could imagine uh, here. Okay, Regions and stuff like that. And the state, West Bengal, where our two pastors are, um, is, it's starting to spike quite a bit. And here's what's happening. There is a, there's two things happening at the same time that our pastors were talking about, so they're, they're kind of worried about. And Dr. Nur was explaining some of this to me also. But they're, they're in their elections right now. This is the week of, of elections. And the politicians don't want to make anybody mad, so they're not being really restrictive with the COVID stuff. And here's one of the main reasons. There's a place in India where three major rivers come together. I can't remember the name of the city, Songwap or something like that. But um, these, three, these three rivers come together in one place, and then and one river flows out from that. And this is considered a very holy place. Well, this also, this week is also that, this whole month is that spiritual um, holy time where, where people make pilgrimages to where this, the, all these rivers come together, this delta kind of place. And, um, and they wade down into the water because their gods will bless them and all this kind of stuff. 10 to 12 million people will come into a very, very small area where there's not housing, there's not all kinds of stuff for them. So every year, many, many hundreds of thousands of people die, catch disease. Um, they're, they're abused by society. All kinds of stuff goes on. Well, now it's happening in the concept with COVID uh, going on. And, uh, but the politicians won't do anything about it because they're not going to offend them because it's, pol it's pol politic time. It's election time, and that's more important than the lives of 12 million people. And, and I was thinking about this, this mentality that, that it's, not just, it's not just Christianity that, that does it. You know, anytime, anytime an atheist wants to pick on religion, they pick on the Crusades. Well, guys, it's real simple. The Crusades were, was not a God thing. It never was a God thing. It wasn't, that wasn't God doing something there. That was people. That was popes fighting against each other. That was, that was kings and popes fighting against each other. That didn't anything to do with God. So people point at stuff like that and say, see, well, the Christianity is just as bad. Not real Christianity. Real Christianity doesn't do that stuff. Religion does. I hate religion. I've always hated religion. I hate any kind of religion. I hate Hinduism, Buddhism. I hate uh, uh, Islam. I hate Christianity. The form of Christianity, but not Jesus. I hate all that kind of stuff. Because it's destructive. It's the most destructive force that's ever existed on the planet. Religion. But, but don't confuse that with if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, Jesus will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. So here's the question. How much... There's a few ways that I want us to process this. 
Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah prophesies about this. Even Every detail about this. Even taking it back and throwing it back in the treasury and the, and the church taking it and buying the field. Every single bit of this was prophesied about. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This is the question, and I don't want to be too pushy and con- con- condemning with this. But, but I've asked myself this, many, this question many times over the years. How much would it take for me to sell out Jesus? I, I've, I've thought about that. Now, before you just, in your head, just say, well, I would never sell out Jesus. Just ask yourself how many times you've already done it. Before, before you climb way up on that very, very high horse... And look down on the rest of us commoners. Just ask yourself how many times you've already done that and what was the price. Now, I, used to, I used to say this a lot when I was a, uh, a youth pastor. This, this was before Columbine. I was a youth pastor before Columbine. And I've thought about it after Columbine. We had, we had the girl, Rachel Scott, I think was her name. She came to our church. and she was, she was actually a good friend of a lady in our church. and So she came to our church a handful of times and and I always thought to myself, and I've always asked this question, you know, it's, it's weird how, how we ask ourselves, could I look down the barrel of a gun and serve Jesus? And, and I think the question, you don't have to go all the way to that. That's an extreme part of that question. You can ask yourself other things much easier. Um, can I look into a very warm, cozy, lazy bed and still serve Jesus? Can I, can I look down... Um, the IRS tax code and still serve Jesus. There's a lot of things before we get the gun, right? We know this. Can I look into the eyes of a, of a member of the opposite sex and still serve Jesus? Can I, can I uh, turn on my TV? We, we, some of the guys were talking about this at Minji Tree, and, and I... And, and I enjoy, I was hearing their conversations, and then I had a conversation with a couple of them too, because I always find this interesting, how easily we will compromise our morals in the name of Netflix or, or Amazon. Where it's amazing to me how, how easily and simply we'll do that. So I was having a conversation with one of the guys um, that was, um, was riding with me in, in, the, in my Jeep on the way home. Everybody wants to ride in my Jeep. I don't know what it is. But uh, we were talking about this a little bit. And he was talking about some of the guys in his room were discussing this and everything. And, he, and we were talking about um, how do you, um, you know, TV is a, is a weakness. And we were talking about how simple it is and how easy it is to just compromise stuff. And he said, how do you do this? And, and I told him, I said, first, before, before I give you this grand answer, which I really do work hard at, I want you to know that I do compromise sometimes, and it, and it, it irritates me. Now, do you, do you know the number one thing that I do to keep myself from compromising when it comes to anything on TV? Nope. Have Linda with me. That, that woman is a nag. <laughs> one cuss word, and the movie's over. Let me, get, let me tell you, is she, she's not here, is she? Where is she? Because she was here. She was, is she? You think she's out clubbing? I don't know what she's doing. Either way, so she does this in movie theaters. My kids, my kids will not go with her to a movie theater. One cuss word, she starts making a big fit. Ah, oh, oh, do they have to? cuss at us? Do they? And she's asking everybody in the theater, do they have to cuss at us? Because there's no reason for that cuss word. It didn't accomplish anything. And we're all just going. <laughs> so my number one stopgap for TV at home is have Linda in the room. Because she doesn't actually watch the shows anyway. She's on her computer. And then a cuss word. She hadn't known anything about the plot. She didn't know anything. Cuss word. Ah! And I'm like. But uh, but here's the thing is, the second thing that I do is I just turn it off. I just turn it off. And that irritates me. This is, this is what um, Malachi and I were talking about. I called him Malachi. Did you hear me? Um, we were talking about this. 
just, just turning it off. And here's the thing is, there's some really good shows, well-written, well-acted and everything, but they got to throw nudity, they have to throw language, they have to throw some kind of homosexual theme in there or something, and it ruins a good show. It irritates me because I want to watch it. So we were talking about this the whole way home and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, 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 Monday evening, I come in, I hadn't watched TV in a week because I've been busy all weekend. I come in, I sit down, turn on TV, and immediately get bombarded. And I'm like, oh, I should watch it. It was like a movie yet. I should watch that. And then I thought, that's exactly what we just talked about. I know this is not going to be a good show. I know it says TVMA. Right? TVMA means what? Sex, nudity, cussing. Sex, nudity, and cussing. I think what's better than turning it off is to have a plan. Yeah. I used to travel a lot. My plan's Linda. Yeah. Yeah, I used to travel a lot, and instead of watching TV in the hotel, I would load on my iPad what I was going to watch. Yeah. Linda and I started doing that quite a few years ago, um, downloading what you want to, like on the, on the airplanes and stuff like that, specifically if you're flying a long ways because we're going to provide a movie there and it's going to be not good. and Yeah, just plan ahead on some things. And then just determine within yourself, that's not who I'm going to be. And somewhere that has to be. The, you know, I was, I was a young man again. This was probably mid-20s. And, um, and, I, and this, and this uh, company did a... Our general counsel asked a company to, to, um, to um, watch and pay attention to and do a statistical analysis of the Assemblies of God ministers in the United States. And they did a bunch of stuff. And one of the things that they did is during a general counsel, where we have forty to 50,000 ministers and families come to a city, most of the time nowadays it's always Orlando, but... Um, uh, and we're doing that later in this summer. Every other year we do this. 50,000-something ministers and families come, and they took all of the hotels that were, were predominantly filled up with these ministers and their families, okay? And they, they did all these studies on what was going on. And they said that, that, and they knew that these were mostly, almost all of the people in all of these hotels in this, you know, 10-mile circumference were all circumference was almost all ministers and their families uh, because of the way they book it through the general council and all this other stuff. And they said that pornography spiked by 80% during that week. These are the pastors and their families. Now, you, you, you guys probably don't know this, so I'll tell you. You can't just go into your hotel room and get pornography. Nowadays you can. But you couldn't back in those days. You had to pay for it, which means you had to be an adult, which means it went on your bill, which means you paid for it with a credit card. In other words, 15-year-old kids were not getting the pornography. Right? So, so here's the question. How much silver does it take for us to sell out the Lord? How much silver does it take us to not be obedient to him and not be obedient to his word? How much silver does it take for us to be so uncomfortable in, in cultural settings that we are embarrassed to say something about Jesus? How, how much silver does it take for us to compromise? Compromise with our kids. Compromise in, in, with media. Compromise it doesn't matter. Just compromise. This I, I, I mentioned this before, I'm pretty sure, but years ago when I was a youth pastor, we would, we would have trials in our youth groups. About once every maybe three or four months, two or three times a year max, we would have a trial. And the, the teenagers would volunteer. I wasn't like some kind of jerk, but they would volunteer and they would be put on trial 
uh, by their peers as to whether or not they were a Christian. And they, I gave them plenty of time ahead of time, and they could get uh, um, character references, they could, anywhere they did. And part of the reason we did is we used it as an uh, evangelistic tool to bring their friends and to bring adults and things like that to our youth group. Because they would bring their parents in. They would bring like a school teacher. So, I mean, just anybody. Um, and they would bring character references and everything else. And then the uh, other side would bring in all their people. And we would put a teenager on trial. Are you a Christian? Or are you not a Christian? I casually uh, suggested that we do this in an adult service one time. I got shot down way bad. I had people so angry at me that I would even consider it. Very angry at me. But we used to do it with the teenagers all the time, and the teenagers loved it. And, uh, and, and every now and then, a teenager would stand strong under the worst of scrutiny, and, and the jury, we had a jury, they would find them uh, guilty of being a Christian. But most of the time, not. Now, that's not really totally fair because we're all human, right? You're going to have those moments. If you found the right people in our city right now under the right circumstances, you could, you could put a pretty good case against me, right? Just, just the right people at the right time. Um, and we could do that with everybody here. But here's the thing that I always wonder about is when you take our regular routine of life, how, how often do we really compromise? And you're the one that knows that the most. Nobody else is ever really going to know deep down what I'm talking about in your specific life. Nobody's ever going to know that. You know when you compromise. Others around you may not. In fact, sometimes um, if you hung out with me on a regular basis, there would be times when you think I'm not compromising, but I am. Because I'm still a pastor, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I know how to say it, act it, and be in a certain way that a pastor is supposed to be, for the most part. You can still find the people that would have a good case against me, right? But, guys, I've just been a pastor for so long, I act like a pastor. Now, not according to the way other pastors act. I'm saying just in a godly sense, right? The softball team used to not tell anybody that was their pastor when we played other softball teams. Not because I'm a bad guy, but because I'm extremely funny at the other team's expense. But, but, you know, we know when we're compromising. You know when you're compromising. You know when you're, when you're selling out for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. When we should be thinking a certain way, but we're not. We should be acting a certain way, we're not. When we, when we shouldn't be, and we are. So... <clears throat> So, this is the prelude to Sunday. I'm going to wrap this all up Sunday. But how do you think we should pray about this? That's a great... She said, deliver us from evil. That's, that's good, too. You guys know I pray that all the time. I say this. I pray that all the time. God, save, save me from me. I'm my worst, I'm my worst enemy. You will always be your worst enemy. How else should we pray about this? How else should we pray about this? At whatever level, God, help me not to be a buyer or a seller. Help me not to be a user of people. Help me to be a, a shepherd of people. Because I don't think shepherd is just a name we should just use for ministers in the traditional vocational sense. Because every one of us here are shepherds at some level. If you're a father, you're the priest, right? If you're a mother, you're a co priest. I mean, there's, you can go down the line. So God, help me to be a shepherd that brings, that brings um, unity and divine blessing. Right? Okay, so let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you.
And uh, Lord, I, I do pray that, that, um, that we would humble ourselves before you. That we would pray and seek your face. And then, Lord, that we would turn from anything, anything that's compromising us. Anything that we know that's not pleasing to you. God, we want to please you. That's, that's our desire. We want to be people of, of blessing and we want to be people of unity. We don't, we don't want to be hurting and using and buying and selling of people and life and souls and time and energy and all that stuff. God, we want to be your servants that we can bring unity. Lord, we, we need your help with this. Lord, we are so prone to self. We are so prone to flesh and humanness. and We're so prone to our, our ways and our will. Lord Jesus, you said that, you, that your blood would deliver us from that. That your blood would cover us and pull us into relationship with God and change that. So God, we ask you to help us, help us, save us from us, save us from, from sin, save us from the junk. And uh, Lord, we, we don't want to compromise. Reveal to us when we are compromising, convict us and save us. In the name of Jesus. God, we pray for our country. We pray for the heart of our country. Lord, that you would soften the heart of our country, break our heart, and pull us towards you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, don't, don't just let this be a prayer right now. Um, think about this and pray about this some over the next few days. Think about this. Maybe get Zechariah 11 out and read it a few times. And really think about this. And then ask the Lord, Lord, convict me. If, I, if I'm reaching out for that 30 pieces of silver, whatever that looks like, convict me. At that moment, convict me. Make sense? All right. Bye-bye.